Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Our theme for the year is running with patience. And God is going to give us some running advice here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, and getting into verse number 2. So verse number 1, you have your Bibles open. I know we just read it, but why don't we read it again? Follow along with me as I read the verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, And here is the advice, looking unto Jesus. You want to know the running advice of God? If you are running in this spiritual race, keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ. If you want to run well, you need to know where to look. And winners in the spiritual race, they look unto Jesus. You know, it reminds me of this passage, this event in history that God records for us in the Bible between Peter and Jesus. So Peter is uh, one of the disciples of Jesus, and Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and he gets them into a boat and sends them across the Sea of Galilee in the evening time. And so he sends them across the sea. Jesus goes into a mountainside to pray, and the disciples, as they are crossing the sea, hit a storm. A storm comes upon them, And uh, Peter is a fisherman, James is a fisherman, you know, they're familiar with boats and seas and things like that, but this is a big storm and they're caught in the storm. The, The Bible says that the waves were contrary. It feels like no matter which way you face, the wind was hitting you from a side you weren't expecting. And so they're in this big storm and they're trying their very best to get out of the storm and just to, you know, survive and make it to the other side and... And uh, in the middle of this storm, Jesus is going towards the disciples. Now, if you and I were going to the disciples, we would probably walk around the sea because there's a storm in the middle of the sea. But Jesus is no ordinary individual. He is God in the flesh. And so he literally walks on the water to go to the disciples. And as Jesus nears them, the disciples see him. Now, if you're in the middle of a storm in the middle of the night, and you see somebody walking on the water, you'd be scared. And these disciples, they were scared. They're like, ah, what is this? And Jesus says, be not afraid, be of good cheer, it is I. And then Peter says the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard anybody say. We read it here. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, Jesus, if it's really you, bid me come unto thee on the water. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to walk on the water with you. Now, that is not a thought that would ever enter my mind, and I'm sure it's not a thought that would have entered into our minds if we were there, but that's what Peter said. And the Bible says that Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What a moment. What a day I'm sure Peter never forgot. 
Not only that, I'm sure it's a day that nobody else ever forgot either. I'm sure all the disciples remember. Wow, remember that day when Peter walked on the water and Jesus was walking on the water? I wish I would have said, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come onto the water. I could have walked on water too. But there he is, walking out on the water. But, verse number 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? For a moment, Peter was walking on the water. It was miraculous. It was amazing. But then he began to sink. And notice what the Bible says about when he began to sink. In verse number 30, it says, But when he saw the wind boisterous. You know when he started to sink? When he took his eyes off of Jesus. You know, the reason many Christians sink in the sea is because they take their eyes off of Jesus. And the reason why many Christians stumble in their race is because they take their eyes off of Jesus. They're looking at other things. They're looking all around. You can imagine the illustration here is a race that God is giving to us. A Christian life is like a race that we are to run. So imagine yourself running a race, for instance, like in the Olympics. So I'm sure that we've seen the Olympics on TV, you know, you've seen the big stadium, and you've seen all that goes on, and you've seen the track that runs around, and, and you can imagine the crowds, hundreds of thousands of people there in the crowd cheering and yelling, and it's, a, it's, a, it's loud, the, the PA system, the, the, the guy there is announcing this event and these people and things like that. And there's hundreds of cameramen. And not only that, there are other people running different uh, events. You know, you might be running a race around the, the outside, but in the middle, there might be different events. There might be the long jump, you know, the high jump, you know, people throwing the javelin, all sorts of different things. There's a lot of commotion going on around you. And so if you will run your race and run well, you've got to stay focused. Not take your eyes off of the goal and what's ahead of you. And if you take your eyes and you start looking at the crowds, you start looking at the cameramen, you start looking at what everybody else is doing, or thinking about what everybody else is saying, you're not going to be able to run well. And we, of course, understand there's a lot of things going on in our lives. There's a lot of things going on in your life. There's a lot of things going on in my life. You know, as I mentioned, we had, a, we had a newborn and we're thankful for that, but life is a little chaotic when you have a newborn in your house. And uh, unexpected things happen. And uh, you've got to change your plans all of a sudden. And I, I know sometimes that really takes your attention and you're, you're only thinking about that thing. And, and there's times when, of course, that's, that's really our responsibility as parents, taking care of this baby that God has given to us. And I'm sure that maybe you don't have a, a newborn in your home, but you've got all sorts of things going on in your life. You've got job stresses in your life. You've got financial difficulties that you're facing and looking at and, and uh, relationships in your home, a marriage and children and, and relatives and neighbors and friends and coworkers, a lot of pressures and obligations, a, a lot of things that are sitting there right in front of you that will try to call out for your attention. And uh, there are times when we need to really put a little bit more focus on this and that. But in the center of all that we do, we need to keep our eyes upon Jesus. So I'm asking you today, where are you looking? 
What are you looking at throughout the week? Not just physically speaking, but spiritually. Are your eyes upon Jesus? I want to see three areas or aspects of Jesus that we need to be looking at if we will run our race well. First of all, look at the pattern of Jesus's running. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is at the beginning and he is there at the end and he is the model all the way through of what we must do as runners. Because how do we learn something new? Most of us and most of the time we learn something new by seeing somebody else do that thing that we're trying to learn. I'm teaching, uh, I, have, uh, I have two daughters, and uh, so I'm teaching my daughters the piano. And uh, so we got this uh, keyboard in our home, and uh, uh, I'll go home at uh, lunchtime to eat lunch, and I'll try to get a quick lesson in, you know, a couple of minutes with each of my kids and try to teach them the piano. We got this very beginner book. And so uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I have Skylar with me as uh, we're homeschooling, and I'll go home. Uh, at lunchtime, we'll eat lunch, and as soon as we're done, I'll go through a quick piano lesson with him uh, as often as I can. And so we'll do this little lesson, and uh, we got these little these books, and uh, so we're, I'm trying to teach them the piano. And uh, pretty much every lesson, we try to learn a new song. So every page, there'll be a new song. And every single time, I don't put the book up there and say, why don't you play that song? Because, of course, we all know that would be ridiculous. What she needs to know for how to learn the song is to see me play the song. So pretty much every single time I play through the song before she plays the song. And especially at the very, very beginning, I not only play the song, what I'll do is I'll have my daughter put her hand on the piano and I'll put my hand on the same spot and I'll play the notes so she could feel the notes as I'm playing it. Because I want her to see it I want her to hear it, and I want her to feel it. And that example helps us to learn, ah, this is what the song sounds like. These are the notes I should play. This is how I should play the notes. These are the fingers I use for these notes. And there's this example that is given that helps her to know, oh, this is how you play the song. And this is what the song should sound like at the end. And sometimes I'll I'll, I'll do the lesson, and my daughter will practice and I'll come in the next day or I'll come in later when they're practicing and they'll ask me, can you play this song again just to, because I, I'm not sure exactly how the song is supposed to go and so I'll play it for them again. And it's helpful to have that example to be able to look at and to see, ah, this is how you play the piano or this is how you run. Now, it sounds a little simplistic in terms of, well, doesn't everybody know how to run? And I was thinking, yeah, everybody knows how to run. But I watched this video of uh, this guy, and he's just a, your average, average person. And uh, he's, you know, going through some of these uh, athletic feats about, you know, how hard it is to do different things. And one of them was running in the 100-meter dash. So he had these two of these American uh, sprinters, 100-meter dash uh, competitors, uh, some of the fastest men in the world, kind of help him out and show him, all right, this is what we do. 
And if you've seen the 100 meter race, you'll know that you don't just stand there at the line, there's these little blocks, right? There's this little contraption on the ground and you put your feet on these two blocks and you put your hands behind the line and when the gun goes off, you run. And I just thought, yeah, you just, you just put yourself down there on the ground and uh, when the go gun goes off, you just run. And uh, that's what I thought. But these guys were teaching him, no, 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 there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And there's an okay way to do it, but there's a better way to do it. And I didn't realize that there was really a lot of technique involved and, and uh, even the running stride. You know, I just thought, yeah, you run, I run, we all know how to run. And uh, when you're running a race though, professional runners, they say, no, 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 this is how you run. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that. You know, sometimes when we're running our race, there are things in, the in our lives that we didn't know. How are we supposed to know? Well, you got to look at somebody who knows what they're doing. You want to know who knows what he's doing? Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows how to run the race. And Jesus knows how to set the example. Jesus is not only a good example, he is the perfect example of how to run the race. You ever wonder why Jesus didn't just come to earth and just die on the cross and go back to heaven and get it over with? Right? Jesus was the son of God from the day that he was born. Couldn't he have just died whenever he wanted to? I've kind of wondered about that. You know, couldn't, he, he started his public ministry at 30 for three and a half years. He was you know, with his disciples and then he was crucified and then he ascended into heaven. Why did he have to be here for all of those years? Well, 1 Peter describes to us one of the reasons. Verse 21, for even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know, Jesus came here and he did what he did in many ways to give us an example to look at, to know, how am I supposed to run my race? And it's a wonderful example because not once did Jesus stumble in his race, not once did he fall, not once did he take the wrong turn, not once did he make a mistake, he was the perfect example. When you take a look at the Gospels and you see the examples of Jesus Christ, you can learn so many lessons about how to run the race. Think about when Jesus was a child. There's this uh, passage in the scriptures that describes how Jesus, when he was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So they went to Jerusalem as they would and celebrated the Passover and it would take a number of days. And so they would go and when the feast was over, they returned. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where in those days, you didn't just travel by yourself. You would travel in a big group because traveling out by yourself was dangerous. You know, you've heard the term highway robbery. Well, that, that was a real thing in the days of Jesus. And so if you travel by yourself, you were an easy target and people might rob you and take all that you had. And so they would travel in big groups. So you can imagine as people are coming to the Passover, there's these big groups, families and moms and dads and relatives and children and everybody gathering together to, to keep safe. And they would travel to Jerusalem together. And then on the way back, they, they just travel together again. Now, if you have your kids 
and there's a bunch of other kids with you, just, you know, not even traveling. You might be here at the church, and, and uh, you know, when I'm here and my kids are around, I just assume that my kids are with the other kids, right? You just assume that, you know? My kids are not with me. I assume that they're with the other kids. And really, that's what Joseph and Mary thought, too. As they were leaving the city, they didn't see Jesus, and I'm sure Joseph said, where's, where's Jesus? And Mary said, I don't know. He, he must be with the kids, must with everybody else and so they just they just traveled on and assumed that jesus was there until at the end of the day you know you go back to your family and you go to sleep and then you know you wake up the next day and get ready except this time they didn't find jesus all the kids went to their families and there was no jesus and so they said, oh jesus isn't here we gotta go find him it's already been a day as they went out so the next day they woke up and they went back into Jerusalem and for three days they were looking for Jesus. Imagine your son in a big city all by himself for three days. So you can imagine the consternation, the anxiety of the parents, and I can imagine some of the conversations. The Bible doesn't say what Joseph and Mary said to each other, but I can imagine a little bit. I, I told you. I told you maybe he, he, something doesn't feel right, you know? And Well, how was I supposed to know? Jesus never did anything like this. You know, you could kind of imagine some of the conversations. And they come back and they find Jesus in the temple. And Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, is sitting there with the doctors. These are the PhDs of the law. And they're teaching. And Jesus would hear them and ask them questions back to them, and the Bible says that they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Well, of course, they're studying the law, and the Bible says that Jesus is the law. He is the word of God. So, of course, he knows the word better than any of them. And the Bible says that when they saw him, they went up to him, and in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's a great passage. It's a great passage to teach us, well, what could a child learn about running the race? What we see in Jesus is, even as a child, he was about his father's business. See, serving God is not just for adults. It's not just for when you get older. It's not just when you become a teenager. Serving God is for everyone. Jesus, as 12 years old, was about his father's business. Not only that, we see that Jesus was subject unto Joseph and Mary. If Jesus could be obedient and submissive to Joseph and Mary, so can you. You know, I know a lot of kids think that they know more than their parents, but Jesus really literally knew more than Joseph and Mary. <laughs> he literally knew everything, and still he was subject unto them. That teaches us a great lesson. You know what? If Jesus could be subject unto Joseph and Mary, so could we. We also see the priority of youth. In verse number 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. You know what the priority for Jesus was at that young age? It was wisdom and maturity. 
Now, the world is really good at educating children in math and reading and science and those sorts of things. But what about wisdom? More than anything else, our children need to be wise. And they need to grow up in maturity. And that was, that was his priority. And he grew in favor with God and man. And one of the most important lessons for children is to learn how to handle relationships. Growing in your relationship with God, growing in your relationship with your parents and with your siblings and with others around you. There's so much here about, you know what, as a child you could see, you know what, that's what Jesus did. That's what I should be doing. I should be about my father's business. I should be subject unto my parents. I should be growing in wisdom, etc. There's, there's a lot of wisdom there. And so as a child, and maybe you're here as a teenager, as somebody in the youth group, you think about, well, what should I be doing? You have a great example here of, ah, that's, what Je- that's how Jesus was running, and that's how I should be running too. Well, let's consider some different areas. What about temptation? Every one of us faces temptation. Maybe different temptations in different ways. Matthew chapter 4 records to us the temptations of Jesus by the devil. In verse number 1, it says that Jesus led up, to the, uh, led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward on hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Already here, a great lesson. You know where temptation is strongest? It is where you are weakest. Here Jesus is hungering. Of course, we know that he was a perfect son of God, but physically speaking, he was hungry. And so you know where Satan attacked? He attacked at the weak point of Jesus in the moment. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now we know that Jesus was tempted throughout these 40 days. We only have these three temptations that are recorded for us, but you'll notice the consistency of Jesus' response. What did he do? Every time he was tempted, what did he do? He went to the word of God. There's a great lesson there. Every one of us is going to face temptation. So what do we need in the moment of temptation? You need the word of God. You need the Bible. Specifically, what will be helpful is a Bible verse that addresses your temptation. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to know how you can fight off temptation? Trust the Lord and use his word. Verse number 11, then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Temptations will come, but temptations are only for a season. So continue to endure and be faithful. One more passage before we move on. Romans chapter 15, verse number 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. 
For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What if somebody treats you poorly? Somebody does you wrong. Somebody does something against you that you know is not the right thing to do. How do we respond? Well, Jesus gives us the example here. He says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And so what do we learn from these passages? We have these four Gospels. We have so many of the events of Jesus' life recorded. What are they there for? They are there as an example of how we ought to run our race. So if we will run well, we must look to the example of Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus. Secondly, we should look at the patience in Jesus's running. Verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. If we will run, we must have patience. Now, the word you and I might use is probably the word endurance, right? That's the idea of if we're running, we got to run with endurance. And patience is a must. It's not the one that starts the best or runs the fastest that wins the race. It's the one that endures the longest. And it's about endurance. You might be able to run really fast for a few hundred feet, but when the race goes beyond a mile and two miles and 10 miles, you're going to need endurance. There's all sorts of different races that you could register for. You could do a 5K that's about three miles. You could do a 10K that's about six miles. You could do a half marathon that's 13 miles. The one that everybody knows about, of course, is the marathon. 26.4 miles of running. Now, we all know that if you're going to make it to the end, you need more than speed. You need endurance. And Jesus endured the cross. And I want to see the method of Jesus's patience. Because let's be honest here. Who likes running? Right? We have a few runners that are here in the room, but most people don't like running. You know how I know that? Because most of us, we don't run. <laughs> if we liked running, we would get out there and run. But of course nobody likes running. Why don't people like running? Because it's painful. Right? You ever tried running after a while? You haven't been running for a while? You start running again? And you get that pain in your side, you know, it starts to hurt over here. And then your shins start to hurt. And then your, your lungs start to hurt and you can feel your blood, you know, heart pumping and pumping and you feel all the pain and you think, why did I, why did I do this? You know, and uh, you think, you know, the next morning as you know that you ought to run, you're thinking about, you know what, I don't know if I want to run again. Well, the Bible says that Jesus ran through the pain, through the suffering. Here, he despised the shame. Why did he run through the pain? It says there, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Every one of us, if you've not been running for a while and you begin to start running again, you know it's going to hurt. So why did you even start? Because you knew there's something that I want more than the pain. I want to get in shape. 
I want to lose weight. I want to be healthier. All of these things. What's your goal? Jesus says you want to learn how to endure in your race. Remember the goal. What's the goal? What's the joy in the Christian life? What are we running for? Remember that. That'll help us to endure in the race. Patience also, lastly, is only for a moment. You'll notice what it says there in verse number two. He ran for the joy that was set before him. And at the end of the verse, it says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For most of us, the thing that we look forward to most about running is when we get to stop running. <laughs> right? You think about running and you look forward to when I don't have to run anymore. I ran my mile. I ran my two miles. I can't wait until this is over. When do I get to sit down? You know, I was talking with one of the members of the church here who's a runner. And uh, there are people who run and then there are people who are runners. And uh, I think there's a difference here. And uh, we, have, we have some runners here in the church. And as I mentioned, when you think about running and races, you know, the 5K is a pretty common one, an easy one to get into. And half marathon is a little bit more challenging. Then you got the marathon. If you're real serious about running, you're going to be running in a marathon. Uh, my sister-in-law was a runner and ran the New York City Marathon years ago. And uh, wow, that's a, that's a real runner right there, you know, running, flying across the country in order to run in this race. And it's a, it's a long race. It's 26 miles. And it's not something that I'm planning on running anytime soon. And uh, maybe most of us, we're not planning on that either. But this person that I was talking to, I asked, I asked her, you know, what's, what's the longest race that you've ever run? What's the longest race? And she said a hundred miles. It took her like 32 something hours to run this race. I mean, a hundred miles is way farther than any of us even imagine or think about running, right? For those of you that went on the, the youth retreat, we went to Big Bear and uh, we, we went on a little hike. It's like, a, it's like about a mile hike or so. And uh, when, when we drove over there, it took us about two, two and a half hours to get there. That's about a hundred miles. When you think about a car ride that's two hours, two and a half hours long, you're like, wow, that's a long car ride. <laughs> you know, that's a long drive. It's not a short drive. Imagine running it. It doesn't take you just a couple of hours. You have to run through the day, and then you have to run through the night, and then you have to run through the day again <laughs> to get there. That's a long, long race. And here's what she said about running. She said, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Because if you sit down, you're not getting up again. <laughs> you are not finishing. You sit down and it feels good and you're like, ah. Oh. And then here's what she said. She said, you know what? When you sit down, your muscles start to cramp. You begin to have some physical difficulties and even getting back up and you got to warm up again. But who wants to warm up again? We already warmed up and we've already been running. Who wants to do, who wants to do all of that again? And, and the lesson here is when we run our race, don't sit down. Jog if you have to, walk if you must, stand if that's all you can do, but don't sit down. Stay in the race, stay committed, don't quit, keep on running. 
if we will finish this race, we must run with patience. There will be a time when we get to sit down, but it's not in the race. We don't sit down in the race. And guess what? We're all still in the race. We're still running. The race isn't over yet. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience. We need patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come, who is that? Who is that one that shall come? It's Jesus. He that shall come will come. And will not tarry. Jesus is coming again. But don't sit down before he comes again. Keep on running the race. I love what Paul said in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He said, I have fought a good fight. And here's what he said. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He finished the course. That ought to be our testimony. Hey, let us run until we cross the finish line. You'll know you cross the finish line when you cross through the gates of heaven. When you get to see Jesus Christ, there greeting you at the finish line of life, that's when you'll know, all right, now I can sit down. Now the running's done. The race is over. I have finished my course, but don't sit down. Stay involved. Keep on getting. Keep on serving. Hey, maybe as you get older, as your family dynamic changes, the way that you serve might be different. The areas that you might serve in might be different. The people that you have good relationships with and are able to witness to them, those people might change and, and all sorts of different things might change and, and your running might change in some ways, but don't stop running. Be faithful, keep running, be patient and endure. Hey, find a different area of ministry. Hey, maybe when you're younger, you have this kind of ministry, and, and maybe you're serving in the kids' ministry, maybe you're serving in the youth, but grow and mature, and, and soon you're able to do a different ministry, and, and uh, you're able to serve in a different way, and you're able to witness to different people. Be faithful. That's the pattern of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that he didn't quit before he finished? Aren't you glad that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. I have finished my course. I have paid the price on the cross. And three days later, I will rise again. Aren't you glad Jesus finished the race? That's the pattern for us. Finish the race. Thirdly and lastly, regarding the running of Jesus, look at the purpose for Jesus' running. Verse number three, For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Why did Jesus even run the race? You ever wonder that? Why did Jesus even come? Why did he even spend those 33 years with us, with the disciples, and die on the cross? His race was not a nice stroll along the beach at sunrise. He was running this race of dying on the cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? You know why he had to die on the cross? because of us. He ran for us. He ran for sinners. If we will run our race with patience, we cannot run for ourselves. We must be running for others. 
we must be running for someone else. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 13, if you're familiar, is a chapter on love. And it gives all these character traits of love. And in verse number 7, in the conclusion of this, it says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. And what's that last one? Endureth all things. You want to be able to run the race and when things are darkest and when things are most difficult and you want to be able to run and continue to have endurance, you know how you will find the endurance? It will be there in love. Jesus ran the race with patience until the end because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who are you running for today? You're here in the church services. Maybe you consider your own personal Christian life. But who are you running for? As a church, together, we gather together and we have some members that are here this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're not a member. You could be a member. You could be saved if you're not saved. You could be baptized if you're not yet baptized and join in the membership of the church. All sorts of different people. Why are we here? I hope that you're not here just for yourself. You know where faithfulness and endurance comes from? It comes when we live for others. I'm here because of somebody else. First of all, we are here for the Lord, amen? We come and we gather together, we worship the Lord. We honor the Lord. We prefer the Lord. We put the Lord first. I love on the first day of the week, on the first thing in the morning, we gather together to worship the Lord. The Lord comes first. I hope that you're here for the Lord. The Lord deserves our time. He deserves our attention. He deserves our priority. We ought to run out of patience in love for the Lord, but also in love for each other. We ought to come with the idea of, I love the people here in the church, and I'm going to be there for them. I want to serve them. I want to encourage them. I want to strengthen them and to run the race with patience, and that permeates every area of our lives, even going into our family lives. Husbands and wives, loving and submitting, parents and children, raising in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and, and uh, obeying their parents and the Lord for this is right, all of those relationships for each other, serving each other, helping each other, encouraging each other, serving in the ministry, witnessing, all of these areas of the Christian life are about others. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He said, what is the joy that is set before me that I am running for? He says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You know what the joy of Paul's life was? It was the believer's. It was the opportunity to witness to the lost and see them to be saved and to serve them and encourage them and find them standing there at the end before Jesus Christ. That was his joy. What is your joy in life? 
Is it being able to go on vacations and travel the world and see new sites and try new foods? Is it being able to buy a big grand house and be able to impress your neighbors and buy the nicest car and have the newest phone and be able to do all of those things? Is that your joy in life? Or is it being able to see people to grow in the Lord, to be saved, to have their souls, to be guaranteed to be in heaven forever? Is that your joy? Because if that is your joy, that's how you'll run with patience. That's how you'll be able to endure through to the very end. And that's the example that Jesus left for us. Running with patience requires us to look unto Jesus.